Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. You guys ready to roll into part five of How to Not Be Your Own Worst Enemy? All right, I said this last week. Um, a lot of pressure because there's, you know, usually if this is in person, it's packed auditorium. There's few of you, but you got to be loud um, and there's expectations. So uh, you got to bring it today. So here's what we've been talking about if you're just joining us how to not be our own worst enemy. Um, all of us have the propensity to make decisions and go places and grab a hold of things that ultimately are not good for our future. And so we literally become our own worst enemy. I I think all of us have some kind of story of making a decision that nobody forced us into, but that decision caused us to undermine our own happiness and undermine our own future. So I've said this before, like I don't think anybody um, has let us down more than we've let us down. And so how do we avoid that? And here's the underlying question for the whole series. How do you say no to the emotions that compete for control? Because a lot of times the decisions that ultimately lead us in a place that we don't want to go are because of some unchecked emotions in our heart and down below that we've never actually dealt with. So how do we say no to those emotions in order to keep us from moving in a place we don't want to go. Jesus said it best. We've quoted this all throughout the series in Matthew 15. Jesus said this one day to a group of people who had been brought up the way that we are, which is just make sure that you monitor your behavior and you're good. Like make sure that you have the social skills to get a date, get a second date, keep a date, maybe get married sometime, get a job, get a second interview, make sure you don't do anything stupid, make sure you can finish the degree, make sure everybody likes you at work. As long as you can do that, you're good. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. And Jesus comes along to say, because there's some stuff that's going on below the surface and the things that come out of a person's mouth that ultimately affect their words, decisions, and behaviors, they come from your heart. And that is what defiles a person. And basically what Jesus said that we've looked at is that you've got some stuff below the surface and you can develop a sophisticated filtering system that's gonna be okay for a while, but eventually some stuff is gonna slip out or you're gonna make some decisions and then go, that's not like me. And Jesus is like, no, no, that actually is like you. That's the stuff that's going on underneath that you've never actually dealt with. And now it's leading you in the direction to become your own worst enemy. So you've got to pay attention to your heart. It's not enough to monitor your behavior or just monitor your actions. You gotta monitor what is going on on the inside of you. And so here's what I wanna talk about today because in this series we've talked about things like issues of the heart like envy, jealousy, um, greed, insecurity, anger. And those are kind of the obvious things. Like if you let that emotion go unchecked underneath the surface, eventually it's gonna go bad. Here's the one we don't think about in terms of it having the potential to make us our own worst enemy. And the issue is the issue of doubt. It's not one that we would think of, and I'm gonna kinda explain what doubt is, what doubt is not, what the scripture says, what the scripture doesn't say, because there's a lot of confusion around this. Here's the thing that cracks me up about the scriptures, um, because a lot of times we have it dug down, and so you just come across these commands that are seemingly seemingly irrelevant, and they they kinda seem like they don't make any sense because we don't understand them, uh, because we, we come up against things like, hey, thou shalt not doubt. And we're like, that's stupid. 
Like, cause that's not even a choice that I make. Like, I don't like schedule on Tuesday, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna doubt some stuff and I'm gonna come up with some questions and I'm gonna have a crisis of faith. Like, nobody does that. And in fact, the scripture is not saying that there is not room for doubt and questions and things grabbing your heart, your mind, and your emotions because the reality is you don't have any control over that. So here, I'll come back to that. Here's the question I get over and over again. Generally, as a pastor, people like to pull you aside and they always do this in a whisper and they make sure nobody else is around. And I always know when they do that, number one, I wanna get out of the conversation. Um, Number two, it's always about sex. Uh, It's about money or it's about doubt or questions. And so they always like whisper in, they don't want anybody to hear and they're like, so just tell me, have you ever doubted? Like, have you ever had a question? And I love to just stare them down and be like, Nope, I've never had a doubt. Only people who are filled with sin and not following Jesus would have doubt. Like, um, I, actually, I do do that, and then I, like, th- but that's not actually true because doubt can come for you. Now, here's why I understand that people ask that question and they wanna lean in to go, have you ever had a doubt? Have you ever questioned, I mean, really about the Jesus thing? Like, there's never been a moment. And the reason that we do that is for this. We love to piggyback our faith on somebody else's faith. And that's okay for a while. In fact, there's even seasons where you're walking through something difficult and and you need to be in community and there's some sense in which somebody else loans you their faith and loans you their strength to get through that season. So there's a part of that, or you're a brand new follower of Jesus or you're a child. Like there is a place for piggybacking your faith on somebody else's faith, but that will eventually go bad and eventually be unhealthy because here's the reality. And some of you, this is your story because when their faith goes down, your faith goes down with it. And for so many people that, I, that are listening that I'm speaking to right now, a lot of your stories is you are following a leader. In a lot of cases, it's some kind of moral failure or whatever. And, and because you had tied so much to that leader, when they went down, your faith went down with it. And you've never maybe even come back. And so like piggybacking your faith, okay for a while, but ultimately it is unhealthy. So here's the answer to the question. Like, have you ever had any doubts? And I don't wanna make up an answer so I can relate to you. So here's what I would say. There is some emotional like circumstances and things going on that I don't understand, usually around like injustice and suffering. But here's the thing I would say, like there's not a whole lot of doubt anymore in terms of the historicity. And here's why I tell you that, because the foundation of our faith is not the Bible. It's not a bunch of stories. It's not even the teachings of Jesus, surprisingly. The foundation of our faith is the resurrection. And that is that Jesus didn't just die in history. Jesus walked out of a grave alive. And there is so much that is rooted to history, so much that is rooted, that has happened, that can be documented, that can be looked at. So our faith is an unbelievably intellectual faith. So I've seen too much. I've studied too much. There's too much evidence to walk away from that, even when I have doubts, because ultimately, here's what it comes down to. The undeniable trumps the unexplainable. Now, is there unexplainable? Of course there is. Bunch of weird stuff in the scriptures. But that unexplainable doesn't derail my faith because there is something undeniable. And if a dead man, as I say all the time, walks out of a grave alive, you have got to follow him even with your questions and even with your doubt. Now, are there moments in terms of just suffering and tragedy and justice where I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand that? Or am I kind of just God's PR guy and trying to explain this away? Like there's those things that you just don't understand and we've all experienced that. Or it's, they're deciding is there gonna be college football? And you're like, is there even a God? You know, there's like stuff like that that you struggle with and grapple with. But here's, here's the whole deal. Guilt, envy, 
anger, insecurity, all that stuff has the possibility to derail you. And so does doubt. And doubt can lead you to a place where you become your own worst enemy. And this is the story that I've seen so many times over the years, having done this for a little bit now, is the most tragic thing is people that walk away because of that doubt. And then they walk back about a decade later, but they piled up a bunch of regret that they don't really want. And in that season, they became their own worst enemy. So here's the thing though. Jesus never says throughout the New Testament, don't ever doubt. Don't ever allow doubt to come into your mind. Don't ever have a question. Don't ever feel that emotion. Don't ever entertain it. Because again, that's not even realistic. You don't schedule that. That just happens. Life happens. You start to feel some of that stuff. But what Jesus does say and what it does say throughout the New Testament among New Testament authors is there's a way to not allow doubt to become your own worst enemy. There is a way to work through it. You do not have to give into it, but you have to pay attention to what's going on underneath the surface in the place that a lot of cases nobody else sees and nobody else knows about. Now, here's what I would say. Historically, the church has done a terrible job at this, and I don't want that to sound arrogant, but it just has. For a long time, our invitation, and it still is in a lot of cases, is get your crap together and come. And as soon as you do, and as soon as you believe it, I literally saw a church sign the other day. It's like, hey, you you don't have to change to come. Come and we'll change you. And I'm like, I don't know the difference in that message. The invitation of Jesus is come with your crap, come with your doubts, come with your questions, and I will lead you through that. But that is the invitation. And I would even make this this assertion, and that is that doubt in a lot of cases can actually lead you to deeper faith. But it can also derail you. And part of the problem in our churches, and this is why a lot of people um, have student ministries and at 18 kids peace out and they never come back because we have never given them a safe environment to ask questions and grapple with the doubt that is coming for them regardless of what you do. And so our whole goal is as a church is to create safe environments where people can move through the stuff that naturally they're gonna have. Doubt will come, questions will come, life will happen. Things will grab a hold of your emotions that you don't even have any control over. And our goal is to lead them through it and get them to recognize that Jesus can handle it. And you do not have to be afraid of your doubt, but you can move through your doubt. And on the other side, God can actually develop a deeper faith through it. That is the mandate for the church. So if you were turned off or turned away because of your questions in doubt, Jesus was not at the center of that movement. So here's the good news. Jesus anticipated our doubts. I mean, think about this. 100% of Jesus' first century followers doubted. Like one of my favorites is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus said of John the Baptist, greatest man born of woman. Like you can't get any better than that. That's like right below Jesus, Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist, not God, but pretty legit guy. John the Baptist was, you know, infamous for Jesus coming down the Jordan and John going, listen, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. I'm preparing the way for the Messiah. And Jesus' whole ministry got moving because John prepared the way for it. And then fast forward, John's in a prison. And he sends word to Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, if you could stop by and get me out of here because I've seen you do some pretty amazing miracles, that would be amazing. Remember, we're cousins. I kind of helped you out in the beginning of your ministry. And Jesus sends back this unbelievable note to him and says, hey, tell John this. Tell him that the, the blind receive sight. Tell him the dead are being raised. Tell him that the lame are walking and tell him he's gonna stay in prison. In that moment, John's like, 
okay, send this back to Jesus and just ask him this question. Are you sure you're the guy? Are you sure you are the one that I thought you were? And John, this amazing man with this incredible, this incredible background has all of these doubts in that moment. This crisis of faith is, is Jesus really who Jesus says he is? I mean, think about this. How many of Jesus' disciples were standing by his side in the garden of Gethsemane? That'd be zero when the soldiers showed up. How many were at the tomb counting down, waiting for Jesus to walk out alive? That'd be none. And this was after they had seen some incredible miracles, including Lazarus being raised from the dead and nobody expected it. Nobody followed Jesus. They didn't walk away. They ran away and they allowed their doubt to get the best of them over and over and over again. So I say all that to say this, Jesus does not toss you out if you doubt. And I would even say this counterintuitive, somewhat paradoxical thing. And that is you can follow Jesus and doubt at the same time. In fact, I would say this, and this is a message that many of you need to hear, is that, that you do not have to have all of your doubt figured out. There's gonna be questions. There's gonna be emotions that come to the surface. There's going to be things that you see that do not match your expectations of God, and it's gonna cause you to wrestle in your soul a little bit. And Jesus says to you, I want you to follow me anyway. Not because you're being intellectually honest or throwing your intellect off to the side because I did something in history and I can deal with your doubts and questions and I want you to follow me anyway. You do not have to have all of your doubt worked out. But here's what Jesus also knew. Doubt has the ability to take you out. Doubt has the ability, if you don't know how to confront it, how to deal with it, how to acknowledge it, it has the ability to move you in a direction where you have a I used to believe story. And I'm just telling you, we live in a post-Christian culture, it's a whole nother message, where so many are walking away from faith unnecessarily because they don't understand its foundation. So there's a whole story in scripture. Peter's a guy that, you know this story, um, it's, it's one of these epic moments where he's on the water and he's in a boat. And I love this story, go read it for yourself. We missed the humor in it. But basically the context is such that they're on the water and Jesus just comes walking by like on the water, walking by. And they see him and Peter's like, okay, hey, Jesus, I wanna do that. And here's what I love, just a real quick point. Peter knew that he could not presuppose something on God to go, I'm gonna get out of the boat and I'm gonna walk on water. Instead, here's what Peter understood. I'm not doing anything unless Jesus invites me to do it. So I don't come up with some idea that I'm gonna do this and then because I have enough faith, Jesus is forced into doing it for me. Peter knew that everything that happens that is beyond our capability is the result of God's promises, God's orchestration and God doing it. And so Peter's like, listen, I wanna walk on water and if you invite me to do it, I can do it. And so Jesus is like, come on out. And Peter gets onto the water and you know the story, he begins to walk a few steps and then he looks at the waves, he looks at the wind, he looks at the fact that I should not be doing this. I don't know if this is gonna end well. And he starts to look at the winds and the waves and he starts to sink. And in that moment experiences incredible doubt about whether I should have done this, about whether this is gonna work out, about whether this is gonna be the end of my life. And here's what Matthew records in Matthew 14, 20 and he addresses it directly. But when he saw the wind, talking about Peter, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out. And this is a great prayer to pray. Lord, save me. In verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and don't miss this, I love this, and he caught him. And then Jesus says to him, you, talking about Peter, of little faith, 
Why'd you doubt me? And, and for Peter, it's an easy answer. When it's not working out, you're prone to doubt. Like with where I'm at and with what's happening and I'm about to sink and, and in that region of the country when storms would come or when you're in that kind of environment, like it doesn't go well for most people. Like you're not gonna survive that. And Peter's like, what do you mean? Why am I doubting? Because I'm sinking in the water. This doesn't make any sense. And when it's not working out, that's a really easy place to doubt. And so Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Peter, come on. Why would you doubt me? I'm freaking walking on the water. Haven't you seen enough from me already? Don't you have enough evidence to continue to follow me and trust me. And here's what I love. As Jesus is reprimanding Peter, he's catching Peter at the same time. He's catching Peter and pulling him out of the water and simultaneously going, where's your faith at, bro? Why are you doubting me? Because in this moment, Jesus is like, no, Peter, I'm done with you. You're out of the whole deal. Now, what happens later on? Jesus puts Peter in charge of the whole enterprise, Peter becomes the leader of this movement known as the church. Later on, there's this other incident. This is kind of the second direct reference in scripture to doubt where Jesus had just done, this sounds weird to say, but Jesus had just done a minor miracle. If you can characterize anything as a minor miracle. And um, he, he does this kind of uh, minor miracle and then he's talking about prayer. And after this, basically, Jesus is like, okay, listen, I know this, is, this seems like a big deal to you. It's nothing. It's JV. You're going to see a lot greater things than this. And then Jesus says this, and then just real quick, I'll explain this. This is the most misinterpreted, misapplied passages in maybe all of scripture. What I'm about to read, your mind, in some cases, are, are, are immediately going to go in this direction that Jesus is not saying, and it's been used to create a ridiculous theology that you do not find anywhere else in the scripture, so I'll try to put it in context. But in Matthew 21, 21, Jesus says this after this little JV miracle. He says, Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and don't doubt, not only can you do what has been done to this fig tree where he basically it died and then came back to life, but also... You can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it'll be done. Now, just real quick context. Here's what Jesus is not saying. And no Jewish individual in the first century would have even jumped to this conclusion. It's why Jesus doesn't even clarify. What Jesus is not saying is, hey, if you just believe it, if you just want God to do it, if you think it up and have enough faith and you name it and you, and you claim it, God will ultimately do it. Nobody listening to Jesus thought that. In fact, that is Western craziness. It is magic. It is not faith. And I just want to tell you in love, if you grew up in that kind of idea that has let a lot of you down, which is why you've walked away from faith, because you're angry at Jesus about promises that Jesus didn't make. Jesus never gave this theology of if you just believe it, if you just name it, if you just claim it, if you speak it out loud, God's going to do it. And you're going to lasso God into whatever you want for your life. Jesus never taught that. And if you grew up in that, somebody made it up. It is nowhere in the scripture. And so Jesus is there and he's going, okay, listen, here's what I'm talking about because here's what you need to know about Christian faith. It is always in response to God's ideas, God's promises and God's commands every single time. Jesus needs to invite you. You don't come up with it. Like, Jesus, I just want you to do this, and I think you want to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous, and so I'm going to have enough faith until you do it. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm not a cosmic vending machine. I'll tell you if I'm going to do it or not. But here's what he is saying. What God originates, God will orchestrate if you don't doubt. Like, does God have a destiny for you? Of course he does. 
Does God have a plan for you? Does God wanna do some things miraculously in your life? Did that stop in the first century? No, it did not. But listen, what God originates, God ultimately will orchestrate if you are willing to not bail. And in essence, here's what Jesus is telling his guys in this moment. You have no idea what hangs in the balance for you. You have no idea what I'm gonna do in the future. You think a fig tree coming back to life is a big deal? You have no idea all that awaits up ahead, but you've gotta continue to follow me. And then it's crazy because after that, the disciples almost doubted themselves right out of history. They almost doubted themselves right out of the story. So this other incident where, where Jesus is giving this message, and um, I love this about Jesus. It's comforting to me at times when I have messages that offend um, multiple people, and then I go and I read the Gospels of Jesus where he would give a message and they try to kill him afterwards, and I'm like, well, I'm not there yet, so... And so Jesus would have these often. And one time he's given this talk and they had just had this miracle where he turned you know, bread into multiplied it for thousands of people. And he uses that as a, a great opportunity to do an object lesson. He's like, hey, listen, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. Like you, you think this is good or this satisfied. Ultimately, I'm offering something through me that's gonna give you purpose. It's gonna give you life, gonna give you salvation. It's gonna give you fulfillment in ways that you can't even dream. Like I, I'm literally, I, I am the bread of life. I'm everything that you need. And then he keeps going and he uses this figurative language that a bunch of people just missed. And he gets to the part of like, and I want you to eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. And a ton of people, like hundreds in Jesus crowd are like, okay, that's, that's the end for us. Like we're out, we can't deal with the cannibalism talk. We're not sure where you're going with that. And, and literally it says that many were, who were following Jesus started to walk away. And at this moment, it produced a crisis of faith for Jesus' followers. Because up until this point, following Jesus had been amazing. The crowds were big, lots of Twitter followers, lots of attention, everybody loved Jesus, miracles every other day. Like it paid to be in the group that was with Jesus. And this is the moment where they had to decide why they were actually following Jesus because this is the moment where it's not popular anymore. People start to walk away and they start to grapple with this question. Because listen, doubt usually comes around two questions. Is it true and is it worth it? Is it true and is it worth it? And sometimes we bypass the is it true and just go to the is it worth it? And because it's not worth it, we begin to give into our doubt and walk away. And this is the moment where his disciples maybe are wondering a little bit if it's true and they're definitely wondering, is it worth it to follow any longer? In John 6, 60, it says this on hearing this, on Jesus' talk about eat my flesh, drink my blood. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then skip down to verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed Jesus. And by disciples here, he's not talking about the, the apostles, which is the 12. He's talking about the greater crowd of hundreds of people who are now walking away from Jesus. And this is the moment where, where his disciples start to wonder, is it worth it to follow? And here's what they had no idea about. I mean, imagine in this moment as Jesus' apostles, disciples are considering walking away from Jesus, they have no idea what hangs in the balance. Because Jesus is like, listen, you know, walking on water, that's one thing. Moving mountains, I mean, come on, even today, we've kind of figured that out. Get big enough machinery, we can move a mountain. But Jesus is like, I've got way bigger things for you than walking on water and moving mountains. You guys are gonna make history. You guys are gonna change the world. And in this moment, as they're considering, is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? They have no idea what hangs in the mountains. This is what I love. This is the moment. Peter gets a bad rap a lot of times where Peter has extraordinary clarity and asks the question in the moment that reframes everything. 
Like Peter sees through it in this moment where they're all considering walking away. Peter asked this question. Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord. And I'm telling you, this is it. This is the question. This is the place to go when those doubts start to arise and your emotions start to take over. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Like this is the question that has the potential to change everything for you on the edge of doubt, when the questions start to arise, when those things start to grab your heart, when you're walking through a circumstance where what your experience doesn't match your expectations of God and something starts to happen in your heart. This is the question to reframe because the question is, if not Jesus, who? And if not Jesus, what? Because here's what Peter understood in this moment. I'm not just walking away from you. I'm walking towards something else. And a lot of times, listen to me, a lot of times we have a lot more clarity about what we're walking away from than we are walking toward. And in this moment, Peter's like, listen, I, I've got questions. I wish you'd stop that kind of teaching. It's not good for our ministry. We're losing a lot of followers. But besides all that, besides my questions, besides some of the weird stuff that you've done, here is the clarifying thing for me. Where else are we gonna go? Listen, you were designed to worship. And when you walk away from worshiping one thing, just mark it down, you will trade it into worship something else. And Peter is like, there is going to be a trade-in. And if I'm walking away from you, I better know what I'm walking toward because here's the reality. Doubt will always whisper to you, is it true? Can you trust it? Is it true? Jesus whispers, if not me, who? If not me, what? Where are you gonna go? See, listen, you better know before you go. You better consider before you walk away. You better know not just what you're walking away from, you better understand what you are walking toward because what you are walking toward in a lot of cases in that crisis of faith and doubt has the ability to make you your own worst enemy. And the most horrific stories that I come across and, and not that I haven't seen God's grace just move in these situations in unbelievable ways, but my heart hurts when people walk away after 12 years and suddenly realize, man, the doubt that derailed me wasn't worth it and it's true and it is worth it and they walk back in, but they have so much hurt that they did not have to accumulate. And so Peter says, verse 68, I love this. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Like we've come to believe. Peter basically is like, I, we've seen enough. Do I have questions? Yes, I have questions. Do we have doubts? Yes, we have doubts. Are there things we don't understand? Yes, there are things we don't understand. But we have seen just enough. We've been with you long enough that we've come to believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus answered him, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's my paraphrase. That's not in the NIV. But like, that's what he's thinking in this moment. Hey guys, are you serious? Like, I'm not gonna give you the end of the story. You have no idea where this is gonna go. I'm not gonna give you an insight into all that's gonna happen as a result of this, but you just need to know this is a pivot moment. And what you decide to do right now, it's going to set the course, not just of your life. It's gonna set the course for a whole lot of other people's lives as well. But here's the thing. They continue to doubt right up until the very end. 
They doubted right up into the middle of Easter weekend. They doubted right up to the end of Easter weekend. Even with all that Jesus had said, nobody was looking for Jesus to do what Jesus said that Jesus was gonna do. And doubt came with them all the way up to the very end. And then all of a sudden, something changed. There was a hinge point in all of those people who were running and cowering and couldn't get away quick enough and hiding in fetal positions and upper room apartments. Suddenly those doubters became shouters because they recognized that something had happened in history that was the hinge point for everything because the foundation of their faith was not Jesus' weird teaching at times. It was not Jesus' moral lessons. It was not Jesus' ministry. It was not a Bible, which they did not even have at that point. The foundation of the Jesus movement was the fact that they saw Jesus die, lost all of their faith, doubted in ways that we can't even imagine, denied that they even knew Jesus. And then at the end of the weekend, they were willing to go out into the streets of Jerusalem at the expense of their life and go, listen, you guys killed him. We saw him, had breakfast with him on the beach. You guys need to repent because Jesus is alive. And suddenly in that moment, they weren't afraid any longer because listen, when your leader comes back from the dead, there's nothing to fear any longer. And these people who had so much doubt suddenly were full on followers of Jesus to the point they were willing to risk their life. And eventually all of them gave up their lives, not for what they believed. They gave their lives for what they say they saw, a resurrected savior. And all of these doubters who doubted to the very end, all of these doubters brought us the story of the resurrection. And after Jesus had died and then they are face to face with him, it's in that moment where they recognize, number one, even with all of our questions, it's true. Because when a dead man comes back to life, it validates everything he said about his life and teaching. And it is the only explanation for why these individuals ditched their doubt and began to follow Jesus under extraordinary obstacles and extraordinary threats. And in that moment, they recognize it's worth it and it's true. It's worth it and it's true. So here's what I wanna tell you as we get ready to close. You have no idea, you have no idea what God would have done if you wouldn't allow doubt to take you out. You have no idea what God would do if you don't allow your doubt to take you out. And I'm just gonna tell you, doubt's gonna come. Questions are gonna come. Marriages are gonna end. Injustice is gonna happen. Hurt is gonna be thrust in front of you face to face and you have no answers and you cannot explain it away for God. And there's gonna be moments where you do not understand it. There's gonna be moments where none of your questions are getting answered. There's gonna be moments where you have to walk through dark nights of the soul and God seems so absent and so silent and he's not answering any of your prayers. And you have no idea what God will do if you do not allow your doubt to take you out. And the question that has the potential to change everything in those moments is, to whom shall I go? If not you, then who? If not you, then what? Because if I walk away from you, I'm walking towards something else. 
And I have to decide if the something else is better than what I already have in you. So I just wanna encourage you, you're single and you've been single for a while and you're not sure it's worth following Jesus and you're trying to handle morality in a way that nobody else in culture is. And there's moments where you're not maybe even struggling with whether it's true, but you're starting to struggle with whether it's worth it. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You're trying to handle your finances in a way where you're living so countercultural. It's weird. Nobody does it. Nobody gives away a large portion of their income. Nobody is generous in that way. Nobody lives a lifestyle like that. And there's moments where you don't really see the evidence of what it's doing and the difference it's making. And you're wondering, is it worth it? Or you're in a place right now where you've heard some things from a freshman English teacher that's starting to get you to question and you're not sure about some of the things that you learned in Sunday school and you're starting to grapple with the, is it true? Is it true? Is it gonna be worth it? Is it true? You have no idea. You have no idea what God will do on the other side of that doubt if you do not let it take you out. And here's what I wanna encourage you on. Almost always, like it comes down to being in community and allowing ourselves to process it in community. If you live your life in isolation, and listen, this is gonna be a big test for a lot of you because as we move back to in-person services, and I love that thousands are gonna join us all over the country, and so our hope is that you get into community as well, or you start a group right in your own living room with us as we have people already doing, but you need community. And for some of you, like there's no reason that you can't come back, but now it's been six or so months. It's, it's easier in our culture to just start to live in that kind of isolation. Like you already don't know any of your neighbors. You don't greet anybody on your front doorstep unless they're from Amazon. And so it's really easy to just live that kind of lifestyle. Now that you've been away from it for a while, you're gonna continue to be away from it for a while. And I'm telling you, there is no greater danger than you leading yourself to a place three years from now where you become your own worst enemy and you would do anything to come back to today. So you need community, you need people. And there's gonna be moments where you can't process it on your own. There's gonna be moments where something happens where you've gotta have other people around you. And so that's why all the time we talk about, you need to get into a group, you need to get into community, you need to find a place with other people. It's why it's the foundation of what we do and it's why we've thrived through this season because it's not just about what happens in here. So I wanna encourage you today, for some of you, the step that you need to take is to move yourself toward community. And you're gonna come up with a million different excuses and I try to be as empathetic as I can. You live in 2020 and as hard as it is, you are not in Rome under Nero where Christians are being burnt on stakes and you've gotta hide yourself in a home with a scrap of a letter hanging on to the teaching of Jesus and continuing to follow even if you don't know if it's gonna cost your life or not. So I get it, but you can get yourself into community and on Zoom and into a place where you can get around other believers and I love you but there is so much about your life that is going to be changed either positively or negatively by what you are willing to do so there is a ton of you you just need to do it you don't need to pray about it you don't need to get a bunch of courage you just need to do it so right now if you feel that that is the Holy Spirit um, text 94,000 or actually text CC group to 94,000 and begin to take a step like right now to Today. So one of the things we're doing this fall is that we've got community groups that are meeting either in person or they're meeting online. So that is a wide umbrella. No matter where you are, you can get involved. So CC group 94,000. We also have what we call lifestyle groups that are meeting for short, a shorter amount of time. So there's a definite start date and end date around specific topics. 
And there's four launching this fall. And here's what I'll tell you about all four of those. Those four things actually are massive linchpins that can either strengthen your faith. And, and some of the subjects are actually things that can erode your faith. And so for some of you, it is the perfect place to start, whether we're talking about starting point, which is for those new to faith, whether it's talking about those who are recovering from a past decision around abortion, whether it's those who financially, like you need to make some progress and know what God says about your finances. For others of you around the issue of, of injustice and racial healing and our Be The Bridge group, but I just wanna encourage you right now, wherever you are, CC group, 94,000, I'm not making a plug for groups. I'm making a plug for your heart, your soul, and moving into a place where God can do what he wants to do. And I'm just telling you, doubt, if it's not here right now, it's coming for you. And unlike maybe what a lot of you have experienced, we've created an environment to say it is safe and you can ask questions and you can voice them out loud and you can struggle with them as long as you need to struggle with them. Because following Jesus and your doubt is not mutually exclusive. And there is something, and this is what I wanna lead many of you to, there is something undeniable in history, the resurrection, that trumps what's unexplainable. But you can continue to bring along the unexplainable. You can continue to move with your questions. But the final question I'm just gonna remind you of is, is just this, if you're on the edge of, I don't know, is it true, is it worth it? Is it true, is it worth it? I just want you to ask this question before you walk away. Where are you going? To whom shall you go? If not Jesus, who's it gonna be? If not Jesus, what is it gonna be? And you have no idea. You have no idea what God wants to do. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your ability to cling to what is undeniable, even with what is unexplainable and move through your doubt. It may be, your doubt may be the epicenter of God's greatest activity in your life. Would you pray with me wherever you're out physically in the house today? If you're watching me online, if you're podcasting somewhere, many of you now in a college dorm this week, those who will ultimately listen to this via radio, wherever you're at, if you can just create a moment. I just wanna pray with you. Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you that it was preserved I thank you that men wrote it down and documented it and preserved it and gave their lives for it. Not to make it worthwhile, but because it was worthwhile. And the individuals in the first century did not just carry forward a teaching or a set of principles or, or some teaching about morality, but they carried forward a message that their savior didn't just die, he walked out of a grave alive and it was the epicenter and the foundation of what reignited their faith. And 2000 years later, it is the epicenter of our faith. And I pray for those today that just need encouraged that are on the verge or on the edge of, is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? I pray maybe despite what they were taught or what they grew up with or some easy answers they were handed in Sunday school that they would come to what is the foundation of our faith. It's not the Bible, it's not even a set of teachings. It is the resurrection of Jesus. And today they would reignite their faith and drag all of the unexplainable questions with them. And that you would begin to lead them through and eventually lead them past. And I pray ignite a faith in them that wouldn't be possible without the doubt. And so God, do your thing wherever we are. And I pray this in the incredible name of Jesus, amen.
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.